Hey, great to see you, Purpose Church. So good to be together online. I'm so glad uh, that you're joining us today. Uh, before we get into our study, I just want to mention a great event coming up, our Building for Generations 150th campaign. Uh, we're going to have a, fam a church family celebration Sunday, October 10th, under the tents from 4 to 6 p.m., it's going to be just a great event. We're going to have children's programs for uh, nursery, uh, infants, right on through eighth grade. And uh, the adults, we're going to have such a great time together looking at our past, casting a vision for the future. It's going to be a very, very exciting time. It's going to be a dessert uh, fellowship. And uh, we're just going to have a wonderful time. And I really, really hope uh, if you feel comfortable coming out to it, and if you're able to come out, mark that on your calendars. Uh, no need for a reservation or anything. Just, just show up. And boy, I would just love to see you there. All right, today we continue our fall series, In the Wilderness. Uh, John McKay has written this about going through the wilderness. It is God's normal way of working that entering into glory does not immediately follow salvation. Wouldn't it be nice if we got saved, you know, prayed to receive Christ, and boom, found ourselves in heaven a couple of seconds later. That would be wonderful, but that's not what's normal. It happens for a few people, like the thief on the cross that accepted Christ right before he died next to Jesus at the crucifixion, but it's not the normal way of working. Rather, there is a time of preparation to make God's people, his people, ready for the inheritance he will bestow on them. That was the method he followed in the case of the Israelites. Free they indeed were from the hand of Egyptian control, but they had still much to learn. For one thing, their faith was still very weak, and it would take time for their trust in the Lord to develop so they would be able to face every set of circumstances without hesitation. They were therefore led into times of difficulty and testing so that their spiritual faculties might be developed through use. It was one thing to sing the praises of their deliverer, like we saw last week with the crossing of the Red Sea and being delivered out of Egypt. That's one thing. And quite another to live out that faith in the wilderness when confronted with the problems of ordinary living. I love the way that uh, Charles uh, Spurgeon uh, puts it. He says, the wilderness was the Oxford and the Cambridge. Uh, what we would say is it's the, it's the Harvard and the Stanford for God's students. There they went to the university and he taught and trained them and they took their degree before they entered into the promised land. The same thing is true for us. Uh, the church, followers of Christ, are now living in the wilderness in between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. He came the first time to save us He's going to come the second time to take us home. But in the meantime, we're on this long, difficult uh, pilgrimage. And he's using that to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. It's hard. We're going to face hard stuff this side of heaven. In between coming to Christ and going home to heaven, uh, there's going to be disappointment and difficulty and discouragement, um, doubt, struggles. Uh, James put it this way in James 1. Uh, verse 2, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. In the original Greek, many kinds is from the Greek word poikolos, from which we get our word polka-dotted. You're going to have a po polka-dotted trials throughout your life because you know that the testing of your faith in the wilderness 
is going to produce perseverance. Now, here's the problem we're going to talk about today. When we're in the pressure cooker of the wilderness, there's this temptation to complain. Uh, wow, it is, it, is, it is hard sometimes, isn't it? We're so tempted to complain, and, and I know we keep coming back to this, but I don't know about you, but COVID complaining is a real thing. And uh, if we complained pre-COVID, uh, it's been complaining on steroids during uh, COVID. But co complaining, the temptation to complain, this was the besetting sin of, of the Israelites. Now, I was actually going to call this message God's provision in the wilderness. I, I, I mapped out the whole series, and this was the name for what we were going to do today from uh, Exodus 15, 16, 17, God's provision in the wilderness. That was going to be the title of the message. But this past week, as I just studied deeper into Exodus 15, 16, 17, certainly God's provision is a major theme in this section of Scripture, but it is not the, the most major theme. The major theme is complaining in the wilderness. So I changed the title uh, a few days ago into complaining in the wilderness and to talk about uh, the temptation uh, and the sin of complaining. Uh, God said he put these stories in there as an example to us. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them, meaning the Israelites in the wilderness did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them that we're going to read about today as examples to us and were written down as warnings for us. That's why God included them in the Bible. Mary Angelou said, what you're supposed to do when you don't like a, a thing is to change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it, but don't complain. And then Dennis Prager uh, talks about complaining. Complaining not only ruins everybody else's day, it ruins the complainer's day too. The more we complain, the more unhappy we get. And so for our own sakes, we want to avoid this. So we're going to look at three complaints, one in chapter Exodus 15, one in Exodus 16, and one in Exodus chapter 17. The first is the waters of Merah and Elam complaint number one, uh, picking it up now in Exodus chapter 15, uh, verse 22. It says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. That's what we saw last Sunday. They delivered through the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur, for three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. When they came to Merah, now Merah in the original Hebrew means bitter. When they came to bitter, to Merah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Merah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now, why did they do this? They've just been delivered out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, tremendous miracle, and yet here they are complaining uh, right off the bat. Well, several reasons. First of all, they, they were forgetful. They just forgot what God had done for them, and I do the same thing. I, you know, last Sunday I talked about that I have, um, I have the memory of, uh, who, who is it, Dory? Is that the one in uh, Finding Nemo, the goldfish that has such a quick memory, short memory? Well, I am, I am Dory in, in Finding Nemo. I just have such a short memory. God can do something wonderful in my life today and tomorrow. I'll forget about it. 
and start uh, panicking or complaining or grumbling as the Israelites did. Uh, Psalm 106 verse 7 says, When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And as a result, they rebelled by the sea, uh, by the Red Sea. So they were uh, forgetful. Uh, you think of all the things that they had forgotten. They knew God had the power over creation. Why? Because they had seen the 10 plagues of, of, of Egypt. Specifically, they knew God had control over the water supply. Why? Because he had turned the Nile River into blood. So, so they knew he was in control. They knew he had the power over the wind and the waves. Uh, why? Because of what he had just done when they crossed the Red Sea, but they forgot. And then the next thing, they were selfish. Uh, their main concern was what could God do for them, not how they could serve God. What can God do for me, rather than what uh, they could do for God? Now, I want to show you a clip here, and, and uh, this is not our church. I'm not saying this is us, but, uh, but it is funny. Let's watch this together. All right. <laughs> um, this is not going to be a five-minute sermon. It's already longer than five, isn't it? And uh, I'm sorry to tell you that with our renovations going on in the worship center, heated chairs are not now being installed. So sorry, sorry about that. Uh, so they were selfish. They were just thinking about themselves. They were also un ungrateful along with that. Anita R. Sneed uh, Carter writes, if you find yourself about to complain, think of your many blessings and rejoice. Don't give the devil a ride today because then he'll want to drive full time. So kick his attitude of complaining spirit out of your blessed zone. Don't give the devil nothing. Uh, so they were ungrateful. Uh, they, were, they were immature is another problem. Um, uh, Pastor Brian sent me this the other day, and this again is, is not our church, but I think it is, uh, it is pretty funny. 
uh, 12 reasons why I as a pastor have decided to quit attending sports events. Um, number one, the coach never came to visit me. Number two, every time I went, they asked for money. Number three, the people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. Number four, the seats were very hard. Again, why I as a pastor am giving up going to sporting events. Uh, number five, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. Number six, I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Number seven, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. Number eight, the band played some songs I had never heard before. Number nine, the games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. Number 10, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Number 11, since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyway. And number 12, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. <laughs> okay. And then finally, and this is really the underlying thing going on here, they had a lack of, of faith. Uh, I love this quote by Nikki Haley. She says, my parents always used to tell us not to complain about things, but do something about them. So can't is not an option was almost a, a way of life. And then Philip uh, Riken. Many Christians complain about the little things. We don't like the way a ministry is being handled or we disagree with something in the worship service or we have a problem with one of our spiritual leaders, so we grumble. We do the same thing at home. We complain about the brand of cereal our parent uh, bought uh, or the jobs that have been left unfinished or the quality of the living room furniture. And all this complaining disturbs our relationship and it hinders our witness to other people. But here's the amazing thing we're going to see in each of these episodes of, of grumbling of the Israelites. God still provides. Uh, I love that song we used to sing years ago. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O Lord. God, in spite of the grumbling, He still provides for His people. Uh, Exodus 15, verse 25, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, Don't complain, but to humbly Cry out to God like Moses did. He cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. Now, uh, Bible scholars have debated, uh, was this a miracle uh, or was this a particular wood that God gave him the insight into that had a natural healing effect? Because there are uh, certain things in nature like that. But Bible scholars believe that this was a, um, a miracle that bent the laws of nature. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a miracle. God gives you an insight to a situation and you step in and you can and fix it. I think that's very much a miracle. But then sometimes God actually bends um, or changes the laws of nature. And, and, and Bible scholars believe that it was that kind of a miracle because in all the years since this was written, we've not been able to find a tree in Sinai that has the inherent ability to purify water. So as a result, we think that God used this wood symbolically and then God miraculously uh, made the water better and pure so they could drink. Uh, so picking it up now, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for the people, for them, and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases 
I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Um, the next principle is that rapids are often followed by calm waters. Uh, sometimes we go through a difficult time in our life, um, but then many times God will bring a, a period of calm for us to heal after the time of testing. Verse 27, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. I wonder if that's where Palm Springs uh, got its name from. Uh, there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Doesn't that sound like a, a wonderful uh, place? Now, trouble comes in bunches sometimes. And you've heard me say before that sometimes it's not the first punch in life that knocks you down. It's, it, it's the trouble, you know, you wish trouble came and then you had a long period at Elam to heal from it and then the next trouble came. But the problem is trouble, I don't know about you in your life, but it comes in bunches for me. And uh, you know, one thing following another. And sometimes it's not the first punch that knocks you down, it's the second or the third. And, and the same thing is true with rapids followed by calm water, but sometimes there's two or three or four sets of rapids before you get to that calm uh, water. Uh, the closest I ever came to drowning, when it was, I was about 21 years old, that is not a picture of me, but these are the rapids of the upper Wisconsin, uh, Hudson River, the upper Hudson in upstate New York, and that's the area where I was kayaking. I was about 21 years old, and the closest I came to drowning, I got through the first set of rapids, uh, I got through the second set, got through the third sets, but then it was that, that third or fourth set that I flipped over, I couldn't get out of the kayak. Uh, I, for a moment there, I thought I was gonna drown, and that's probably the closest that I came uh, to drowning, and it's that second or third set of rapids, that's the one that will uh, get you. Uh, this is a picture of, of the last couple of years, of 20, 2020 and 2021. Uh, we've been through the rapids, haven't we? And it just seems like we're just getting through one set of rapids and we encounter another set of rapids and another set of rapids. But this is what I'm praying for our church. I know, boy, you and our church, you've been, you, we've been handling a lot of change. And I know we've been throwing a lot of change at you and some of it is, is COVID caused, but some of it is just... Uh, this vision God gave us to do uh, some of these renovations and take the opportunity of being out in the tents and being out of the worship center in order to do some of these things. And I, I know there's just been a lot of change. Uh, this has been the last couple of years, not only for our nation, for us individually, but this is what the last couple of years has looked like in our church at all. I, I know it's, it, it's been a lot of change, but this is what I'm praying uh, for 2022. This is what I pray we're going to get to. We're going to get through the rapids to some calmer water. Now, I can't promise it because who knows what's around the bend. I may have said the exact same thing right before COVID hit, and, and, and here we are a year and a half later. But just like with the Israelites at Elam, sometimes you go through a time of testing, but then God gives you that special time of calm waters to heal before the next set of rapids um, uh, comes on us. Okay, let's look at the second complaint, manna and quail. Uh, the thing that we see here is they exaggerated the advantages of their former situation. There's a human tendency to exaggerate how good things were in the good old days. Uh, let me just say something. This is the danger 
of reconnecting with that old girlfriend or boyfriend on Facebook. Let me just tell you that. If you're, if you're married, don't try looking and reconnecting with that old boyfriend or girlfriend uh, from, from high school or from earlier days because you'll exaggerate the advantages of that former situation. Uh, you, you'll think back and you'll only remember the good times. Let me just say a word to help protect your marriage. There's a reason you broke up with that person, okay? You don't remember it now, just like the Israelites, you, you exaggerate the, the, the prior times. There's a reason you broke up with them. There's a reason you're married to who you're married to now and you're not married to them. There's a reason you broke up. The Israelites had forgotten why they broke up with the Egyptians. And we're going to see that in just a second. But here's one more thought before we look at it for uh, the Israelites. Uh, one more thought where complaining can actually help a marriage. You say, Glenn, what are you talking about? I, I don't like complaining from my spouse, and, and, and I know of us do. But here's one thought where complaining can actually help us in our marriage. I love this quote by Gary uh, Chapman. He says, typically, we get annoyed when our spouses complain. We get defensive. But really, when your spouse complains, he or she is giving you wonderful information about what would make him or her feel loved. I never thought of complaining that way. They're providing us information on how they could feel more loved in, in our marriage. So that's a positive spin on complaining. Well, here's what the Israelites did. Remember the basic principle? They exaggerated the advantages of their former situation. Here it comes. Chapter 16, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam, that's the beautiful place where they just were, and Mount Sinai, that's where they're going to receive the Ten Commandments. So this is in between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now this, this one in chapter 16, this is different. It's not like they didn't find water, so they grumbled, or they were lacking something. They just grumbled for the sake of grumbling. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. What? What? You wish you were dead? There. Okay, here's the exaggerating their former circumstances, all right? That's, this is what we do with that old flame that, that, we, that we used to date. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Israelites, you were slaves in Egypt. It was not like hanging out at Outback. It was horrible, brutal, ongoing, no escape, oppression. But here, the way they remember it selectively is we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They exaggerated the advantages of their former situation. It's like your kids saying they're starving. Your kids ever say, Mom and Dad, I'm starving. They're not starving. They just want McDonald's instead of what you're making for dinner. That, that's all. They just want to go to McDonald's, Taco Bell, Jack in the Box, instead of what you're making for dinner. Uh, Psalm 78, uh, verse 18, they willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. It was not, they weren't starving. 
It wasn't the food they needed. It was the food that they craved. See, the Israelites confused what they wanted with what they needed. It was the food that they wanted, not necessarily what they needed. And this is one of the sources of our discontent. We think that our greeds are, are really uh, our needs. And then the next principle, they were displacing their, dis, displacing their discontentment with God onto the people close to them. And this is another thing that we're tempted to do. When we're discontented with our lives, we take it out on the person in front of us. If we're discontented with God, if we're discontented with our lives, we, we, we displace that discontentment, that anger, that complaining spirit, and we take it out on our family or on our closest friends or on someone else in our life. In this case, the Israelites took it out on their leaders, Moses and Aaron, picking it up with verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you'll know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you'll see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? I mean, we're just, it's God that you're grumbling at, but we're the ones standing in front of you, so you're taking it out on us. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but you're grumbling against the Lord. Now, sometimes we're mad at God, but it was our own choices that have gotten us into trouble. Well, I know I do that. I blame God, and yet it's, it's, it's me. It's the guy in the mirror that made those choices to get myself in this particular situation. Proverbs 19, verse 3. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. I love this quote by Monica Johnson. She says, many of our choices have led to the predicaments we are presently complaining about. We're complaining about a situation that we ourselves made the decisions to put ourselves in that situation. And yet here's what's unbelievable, the grace of God. Despite all this complaining and grumbling and uh, negativity and, uh, and sinfulness of the Israelites, God still provides. It says in verse 9, Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Boy, I'd be scared to death. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Oh, no, here comes the wrath and judgment of an angry God. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight, you will eat meat, and in the morning, you'll be filled with bread. Wait a minute. I would have thought, you know, if it were me and I was God, I would have said at twilight, fires could have come down from heaven. Judgment is going to come down and judge you. But look how merciful. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O oh Lord. 
Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Oh, wow. God is so merciful to us. He's so patient with us. He's so full of grace and love and kindness to us, just trying to teach his children how to trust in him. And now the the third and final complaint, water from the rock. Now we're going on to chapter 17. Uh, They demanded God's provision. There's this sense of entitlement uh, from the Israelites. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, after God providing again and again, do you think maybe they learned that God's going to come through? Maybe I'd learn, maybe you'd learn, we'd learn that God will come through as he has before? No, no. They quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. They demanded it. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with asking the Lord to meet our needs and waiting on him to meet our needs, but it's when we insist on having our needs met our way, uh, not waiting for God's way to provide. When God doesn't do what we think he should do for us, uh, the way he should do it and when he should do it, according to our timetable, we, uh, we complain. We demand God's provision on our terms, not humbling and patiently waiting for it on his terms. Uh, next, they denied God's protection. It says in verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? They weren't dying of thirst. God, they weren't even anywhere near that. And yet they catastrophized. Um, They freaked out. They assumed the worst. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. They didn't believe that God would protect them. And then thirdly, they doubted God's presence. It says in in, in, in verse 7, and he called the place Massah, uh, which um, uh, means um, uh, to, com- uh, to uh, let's see, I've got to get the definition of Massah here. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or, uh, is, or is he not? And so um, Massah means testing in the original Hebrew. Meribah means quarreling in the original Hebrew because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? We complain and say, where is God? Where where are you, God? Where's your presence? God, when are you going to show up? Where's God and why isn't he blessing me? And so they they doubt God's presence uh, during uh, their time in the wilderness. But look at what God does again. He still provides, still provides, patiently provides for them despite their complaining. Uh, Verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord, again, call out to God, cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. 
The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And then finally, Christ will forgive us for our complaining. I don't know about you, but this message has really convicted me. I, I complain so much, and, and, and I just, it just makes me want to call out in, in, to, for mercy. But Christ will forgive us for our complaining. You know, this rock that gave them water uh, to drink is actually a, a picture of Jesus from 1400 B.C. It's what we, want to, we call one of those um, pre-incarnation, pre-Christmas pictures of Jesus that we have in the Old Testament. Paul writes about this incident in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. So it's almost as if they, when they were passing through the waters of the Red Sea, it was a picture of our salvation. And they were all baptized. It's like when they went through the Red Sea, it's a picture of our baptism when we follow Christ into Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock that they got water from, that rock was Christ. Uh, as you think about complaining and, and how this grieves God and how it's a sin against God, I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's three simple steps. First of all, God, I'm sorry that I complain so much about other people, but ultimately, Lord, I admit I'm complaining against you. It's you that I'm grumbling against. But thank you that that rock was Christ, that Jesus will forgive me for my complaining. Please come into my heart and be my Savior and my Lord. Let, would you pray with me silently as, as I pray out loud? Oh God, I'm sorry for the times that I've complained when I'm really complaining against you, not against that person in front of me. I'm ultimately complaining against you. I'm, I'm, I'm showing discontentment with you. But thank you, Jesus, that you're the spiritual rock that supplies spiritual water for my thirst. Thank you for your death on the cross and your resurrection. Would you please come in to my life and be my savior and, and my Lord. I right now, right here, receive you as my Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And wherever you are watching this right now, would you say with me out loud, if you agree with that prayer, amen and amen.